Welcome back to the podcast. Jeff isn't working. I'm your host, Jeff Schroeder. I wanted to do something a little bit different with this episode. Uh, I was planning on this upcoming weekend doing a Christmas show, a sketch comedy show. I was going to do it in Rockford and Chicago. Um, There was even talks about trying to uh, do it in San Diego with Pat Jeter. Shout out to Patrick Jeter, who is warming his buns and feeding his family in San Diego, California. Um, had high hopes. This this has been kind of the the year of follow the fear and do the crazy shit because we don't know how much time we have. So I was really excited about it. Um, we were originally going to do it for the Angel Tree. Uh, benefit which is uh toys and and christmas items holiday items for children of people incarcerated um justin carner my partner for the rockford show um that's a cause very near and dear to to his heart and a cause very near to my heart as you know i've seen firsthand um children of people incarcerated who Society might see as one thing without context and nuance, but I knew them as a family member, you know, or significant other of a family member, et cetera, et cetera. So um, that was originally what we were going to do. Then we got the diagnosis for Oliver um, that he has epilepsy um, and that kind of derailed shit and put shit on hold and obviously upended our life um but we were still going to do the the rockford show and the chicago show um and but we were just going to do it as a fundraiser for epilepsy at that point um because that's really the only illusion of control you can have as a parent is that you threw money at it and hopefully people that studied harder than you in school can fucking figure it out it's like here just take whatever resources you need let's figure this shit out um i don't know who gets what or where it goes to i haven't done any research um but that was originally the plan well Then I tore a tendon in my calf walking down the stairs as one does when you're 44 years old. Um, So now I'm in a walking boot, uh, barely hobbling along. But I still wanted to do something to close out the year um, to inspire uh, donation. And I wanted to use my comedy and creativity to be worth the price of admission. So um, here's my challenge to you. I wrote a ebook that I'm going to release on um, Apple books, whatever publishing um, because it's just direct access. It doesn't cost anything, but I'm not going to charge anything for the, for the work, for the piece. All I ask is that whatever you would pay for something like that, um, you donate to, uh, charity of your choice, um, Angel Tree, Youth Epilepsy Foundation, or Epilepsy Foundation, or here's the ch- here's an addendum to the challenge. My personal challenge to you would be donate as far left as you can go, as you are. Like if you're a transgender rights matter and you know all people should be protected, donate to that. If you're a Hey, we got to do something about these kids, you know, 
donate to that. You know, I mean, let your conscience be your guide, as my wife uh, says so beautifully. Um, so without ado, I am going to read this work. Um, I do want to put a warning label on it because I know very stupid people. Um, please do not form a cult. Please do not start to worship me. These are just thoughts. These are mostly high thoughts. It's for entertainment purposes only. It's to get the gears grinding. It's to get you thinking on maybe some different planes. Um, but it's not from a place of certainty. And everything that's in here is uh, why my mind is crazy. And you're listening to a person succumbing to their own madness. So without further ado, we will start at the beginning. Let's take that back. <clears throat> Prologue. I am not a writer. I'm not a poet, an artist, a comic, a waiter, a restaurateur, a bartender, a drunk, a junkie, a lost cause, a prize pupil, or any other bullshit label this godforsaken place decides to laud onto us to keep us handcuffed to its systems and policies. I am an alien, a foreigner, a citizen of a utopian kingdom that is as real or even more than any man-made system of abuse and exploitation. There is a vocabulary to this spiritual war that was waged far before you or I was born and will likely remain long after our skeleton suits have returned to dust. When we begin to understand we have two selves, we only then begin to understand. Even your Jesus was a mystic. He spoke gibberish to the earthly mind, but clearly to the spirit. This book is not for the flesh and bone or any other earthen vessels that will rot and decay. This is for the eternity within. This is my spirit writing to your spirit. Flesh and bone has not revealed that to you. Chapter 1. Flesh. When I say flesh, I mean ego. In improvisation, we often refer to statuses and scenes. High status and low status. High status is the egocentric. Low status is more submissive. As it is in life, beginners tend to be more high status because they're still figuring out the machine and the systems. They do not understand where the true power lies, and that is in the lower status. I grew up around bona fide killers. Vietnam vets, street warriors, the whole gambit. Truly dangerous men tend to have a sort of meekness to them. Depending on where they are with the trauma process, they tend to move more quietly than what we affectionately refer to in the Chicagoland area as a jagoff. Jagoffs are the wish someone would puffed up chest Tommy Toughnuts. These guys are usually paper-thin, constructed egos, and they look the part of street thug number two, but they're usually a fucking idiot with unchecked trauma and they're still playing the bully role because they're scared shitless inside and they don't ever want to be exposed. This is the flesh. This is the world we were naturally born into. There is a cheat code in this world, and it is might. Almost always in my experience has it been the case that in any situation, the person with the most power, be it money, munitions, or municipalities, might is the ruling body. Our existence right now is no different. You want to know who rules you, figure out who you cannot talk about. This is the most simple, basic two-year-old stuff. In fact, all of life is reduced to what you learned and observed then. 
Life, much like the card game Mao, is learn as you go. But we have removed an important device, and that is to relearn at every facet. What you believe to be true of the world at 6, 16, and 46 ought to be sharpened based upon experiences and interactions. Flesh is programmable. Flesh loves routine and comfort. This is where our current world thrives. If you could donate away a revolution from your couch, we would be light years by now. But we cannot, and so we are stuck in the comfort of the comfortable. Flesh is a concept only even achievable by humankind. This makes us a peculiar species. Our ability to reason is what makes us gods. Our ability to know and choose the right reasons is what makes us godly. Tom Waits has a quote that I, once, I, I at one time laughed at, but now hold as gospel. There is no devil, only God when he's been drinking. In the movie The Devil's Advocate, Al Pacino does a remarkable job portraying what a writer imagined the devil to be in a modern setting. He had the devil as a lawyer, willing to manipulate justice for the vanity of a win. I'll buy it. Vanity, after all, is what the Desert Fathers called a mortal sin, later one of the seven deadly sins. That's right, Catholics used to be Jews. In fact, the cardinals still wear the yarmulkes. I propose this, though. The devil, I think, would be an advertising. To preach a false gospel of remedy or nutrition to the masses who do not know any better, to propagate and promote division for entertainment purposes and profitable gain, that is much more the devil's bag. If God is whatever is beautiful and pure, the devil is in charge of shit down here right now. My perspective is sort of unique because I was born in 1978, right at the real beginnings of the greedy plastic fucking 80s. If you grew up in the 80s, you have a crystal clear picture of who the hero and who the villains are. The heroes have a hyper-military presence and wear American flag shit. Sound familiar? It was the fucking Cold War we needed to posture so strength and solidarity against a boogeyman that everyone could point to as a clear and imminent danger. If our poor aren't poor, then who the fuck is going to keep the rich rich? They convinced the poor that they too were displaced millionaires. Billionaires didn't really exist yet. We would watch Robin Leach and Donald Trump and think, when I'm that guy, I will finally feel alive and worthy. The American dream is a con, and all that suck from her teat are marks and suckers. The lower you get on the economic ladder, the less likely you are to move up. So you turn to the cheat code. Might. As I said, I grew up with outlaws and hustlers as well as blue-collar people alike. There weren't many truly rich people where I grew up in Freeport, Illinois, but there was a rainbow of poor and working poor. A place once rich with jobs, unskilled laborers, is now void of any real mass production. Like many Rust Belt towns, it is succumbing to the haunts of a ghost town. I fear, what we're, I fear that we are one generation removed from rolling up the streets and calling it a day. So why the fuck do I care? Flesh and bone have not revealed this to you. When I began my post-deconstruction, we shall call it, reconstruction journey, I was pulled back home in a strange, almost mystical way. I immediately became afraid that something would happen to my mother or my dad. My dad did fall and injure his back, and my brother had a heart thing. I felt like Jonah a bit. I realized this is likely narcissism, but it was so powerful and magnetic that I couldn't shake it. I reached out to an old friend who, in a weird way, held counsel in my brain, like that collective voice from your childhood that says, get up, don't you be a fucking pussy. He was a true witness to the style of upbringing that it was, that 
And it was important in reconstruction to go all the way back and hold those things to the light of love and growth. We jumped on a podcast with two other friends that all represented that connection from how we were raised and how we now raise our own kids. Chapter two, spirit. This is where vocabulary may trip us up, so I will show my work. The best way to describe this is a Rastafarian yogi shaman once said, do you believe in God? To which the person he was speaking to said, yes. To which he replied, then I'm sorry that you do not know God. Growing up as far back as I can remember, I used to be afraid of hell. My best guess is my mother, who was not religious herself, but was Christ-like. I will explain more later had an old Catholic family Bible, and there were these beautifully tragic pictures of the crucifixion and hell, etc. I recognized the Jesus figure as the dad on Little House on the Prairie, and hell kept me up at night, every night. I had the imagination of a televangelist, and I would fall asleep to this mantra of, please God, don't let me die and go to hell. Four years old, maybe earlier, I would set the stuffed animals up on my bed as a, quote, hedge of protection, I would summon mighty angels like the ones in the pictures. It was its own hell. I recently learned that scientists believe up to 50% of people do not have an inner monologue. And I'm so deeply programmed that my third, my first thought was 1.4 predestination. If you laughed at that joke, you have my sincerest sympathies. And I do not know when we'll ever get our parents off of Fox News. I met the God of the Universe on Steve Barr's couch in Freeport, Illinois, right around 1995. I had a supernatural experience, and I literally felt a weight lifted off of my soul. I had fully surrendered my life to the God of the Universe and would spend the next 20-plus years on a wild goose chase. It started in an old church basement with about 10 kids sitting around a table, and Pastor Steve would give us a message. To be completely honest, I do not remember one message he taught. Isn't that sad? I mean, I'm a daydreamer, so it isn't shocking to me at all, but it is beautiful to look back on these days and just remember feeling cared about, like there was an adult that had a vested interest in my spiritual growth. Part of the secret of reconstruction is that once you've healed the wounds, you can hang the pictures in whatever frames you want to. Pastor Steve was either a saint of a human who devoted his life to what he, and quite frankly, I believe was his calling. Could he have made more money in the quote-unquote secular sector? Absolutely. Excuse me. Was he making a lot of money with a stay-at-home wife and mother of a lot of mouths to feed? I don't think so. I also heard him talk about this demonic force that hovered over Freeport, so, you know, it takes every kind of people. I outgrew Steve in Freeport, and I saw the institution of the church as a land of opportunity. I can make a decent living getting that admiration and acceptance I always sought through comedy and acting, employ my creative skills. I mean, after all, that's what church is right now, right? Production. You're either discovered in church or you're cursed to perform there as a lesser performer than mainstream pop. There really is no difference, and anyone who would tell you otherwise is lying to themselves. The church has been complicit in so many historical atrocities alone that it has blood on it. it, it has blood-soaked hands. Church is the most oppressive force in history. The church has not been hijacked by greedy men. It was created by them. You are a fool to think otherwise. Let us for a second use the Bible, the very tool that the church 
has used to maintain, quote, holy order since whatever the hell happened to Christ. Slavery is permissible. Tithes and offerings are sanctioned by the great and powerful Oz. What that institution fails to inform you in the fine print is that God is within you, not without. You are, in fact, all God-breathed. So why is this knowledge so dangerous to an institution? Well, for starters, if we are all gods, then we are all automatically equal and sovereign. You can see where this is problematic. So the same Jewish rabbi who was talking to Jewish people about Jewish stuff, our bad, we cannot simply legislate morality and consciousness. Here's the why behind the what of the Big Ten. Love God supremely and your neighbors yourself. In doing these, you fulfilled the entire law. Easy peasy. Let's break it down because, again, vocabulary fucks us up sometimes. Trinity is a three-way love triangle. God supreme, higher power, great spirit, source, etc. If you don't love that supremely, you cannot participate in the love fest. Our connection to that is clogged by our flesh. The two systems cannot, I believe, operate in tandem. The two wolves idea, same thing. Whatever you feed lives, whatever you starve dies. Flesh versus spirit. I cannot speak to the particulars of when or how we determine which is which other than reasoning. In the allegory of creation, I believe this is how it was described to a mostly illiterate, for lack of access, not intellect, that what separates us from other living species is, again, our ability to reason. We are even free to do shit for no good reason. I have not seen this contrast so stark than I did in the mountains of Denver, Colorado in 2001. We were on a hike and got up high enough to see the beautiful majestic mountains and see what hundreds of years of humanity had built, and it was honestly no comparison. For starters, nothing the humans had built was truly sustainable. This is probably because it, was, it wasn't their reason. The likely reason we could see any structure is usually because someone who had means thought that the structure would bring them more means. If you really think about it, capitalism can be pretty fucking ugly. Before I ever deconstructed, I felt a bitterness and contempt for God and his, her, their church. I was like, if this is God, then fuck all of it. To be perfectly honest, I was happy to shed the title of minister, preacher, reverend, Christian, and all the other lenses that come from that path. I was fired from the church for, quote, having a joint bachelor-bachelorette party with my first wife. Mind you, this was a church paying a grown-up man $250 a week to be a full-time associate pastor. And the other half of my salary was made hourly working at an aqua massage at the mall. It wasn't hard to leave. I was doing this broke-ass church a favor, spitting holy fire. After that, I took a bunch of temp jobs. You talk about miserable desert fucking existence. Temp jobs used to be the epitome of depression. Now they're called the gig economy. Another fucking con to abuse and exploit human worth. <clears throat> Chapter 3. God. During the most recent pandemic, this was written in 2022, so I'm talking about the man-made virus outbreak of what they called COVID-19, I found myself back at one. All the rungs of the ladder I had scratched and clawed to climb had disintegrated. No more bar, no more pizza place, lots of questions. I, like many other Gen Xers, had to at least give pause to the quiet voice that said, maybe there's more than this bullshit. Sure, easy for you to say, but what? What is more? More money? More status? More to leave the kids so they aren't vulnerable in this evil, heartless system? Wait, more importantly, who are you? 
When the student is ready, the teacher will appear. I am. Wait a second, dude. Before you get blasphemous in here, let me get out of this lightning storm. I'd peek through the veil and it was fucking terrifying. The only way I can begin to describe what we Westerners commonly refer to as God is they are your highest self connected to the highest self of every living thing on the planet, the most high good. And I discovered this being the most high on marijuana. The exercise began because I'm a bastard. I never really knew my biological father. Shout out, same as JC. So I would have these sessions where I would go back and as a father, examine events in my life that held tremendous weight. It was so freeing and the more honest and deliberate, the more freeing. There are still boxes marked extremely fragile that I'm not leaping at the opportunity to revisit, but I have come as far as isolation would allow me. I began to scale it. If God exists and is all-knowing, all-good, all-reaching, etc., what must that mean? I threw out the Bible outside of memory and every ancient text and began to put together a puzzle. The first and really only certainty I had was, one, they had to be accessible for every human, and two, they obviously didn't give an honest fuck about life and death, as we know it. These were hard jumping off points, and I wrestled with these for a good amount of time. One clue I had was something I remember reading attributed to Christ. It seems benign, but it is kind of a key. You can judge a tree by the fruit it yields. Easy peasy. As I opened the religious wound, I attempted my theory of redemption. I had loosened so much contempt and anger, I began fighting with religious people on social media. Because I am, after all, still a soldier in the army of the Lord. It is not laughable, but I chalk it up to the healing. Not dissimilar to Lieutenant Dan yelling at the storm. The argument, however, was a piece in the puzzle. What do I hate about the religious institutions I attended and was manipulated and exploited for beyond the obvious? It was they had no problem with the current system we live in. In fact, they profited tremendously by twisting the words of a radical brown socialist revolutionary into bedtime stories of comfort for the lower and middle class. My buddy Carl calls this the opiate of the masses. And churches drafted on that bait and switch since the Enlightenment, taking a universal truth and setting up shop and selling it to the masses like a bottled water salesman. The gentleman's name is Kenny. The same name as my biological father, so I am certain there was another layer of my hostility and rage, but the argument was about labor. Quote, people don't want to work, and if they don't work, they don't eat, the Bible says. End quote. I lost my shit. I grew up with, and have mostly only known, poor people my entire life. I count myself permanently as a member. It is fucking hard work to be poor. It is even harder when these billionaire companies hold you hostage with insurance and bottom dollar wages. I use the very prayer his self-proclaimed leader used as an example of how to pray. Our, all of our, Father, from whom we come and our sons and daughters of, who art in heaven, a utopian paradise of love. Hallowed be thy name, most good and right image. Thy kingdom come, a kingdom void of abuse and exploitation, governed by love and doing the next right thing. Thy will be done, the greatest good for all. On earth, this physical place, as it is in heaven, the spiritual place. Pause. 
So I began to employ the Socratic method. What type of currency do they exchange in the kingdom of heaven? Here's where I will lose some of you, and that is okay. Please continue on because I'll do my damnedest to make this entertaining. If you are discovering this text in a post-apocalyptic heap, my name is Jeff, and I was worshipped. My holy birthplace was Freeport, Illinois, and it should be enshrined and fought over by the many religions that have formed from this book. I began talking to God every night. I would get my weed, take a few tokes, and then God would appear on my couch. I knew it was God because God appeared as my fifth grade summer school teacher, Mrs. Morris. We had a great chat. She informed me that I wasn't asking the right questions. The question isn't where is God and what does God want me to do? The question is, if I were God, what would be the next right thing to do? What do you mean if I was God? Don't you blaspheme in here. It began as a harmless experiment. If I were God, what would I do? Well, first I would tell everyone I could that they were also God and we have to work together to truly have power because the question I always asked was what God would allow the Holocaust, but Miss Morris corrected me what God stopped it. It sounds silly in a way. I am God, you are God, we are gods together, like a Beatles song, intentionally, or a 70s self-help book, also intentionally, where the message loses its power is when it's monetized. Likely no one will give two shits I wrote this in my lifetime, and depending on my grand final escape, no one likely will care much in my death, and this is exactly why I trust it. Everything I've tried to do to simply feed my family has failed. Not for lack of effort or ability, I made dumber people than myself a lot of money. The only thing I contributed to is lack of purpose. It wasn't my thing, and that, I have to believe, is merciful. Chapter 4. Calling Before Pastor Steve, there was another saint, Reverend Lyle Babcock. Lyle lived a meek existence. He was the pastor of two different congregations in neighboring towns and would often preach four sermons every Sunday, 2 a.m., 2 p.m. I'm also sad to report I couldn't tell you one word this man's many sermons I sat through. His ministry couldn't sustain him and his family financially, so his full-time career was a special education teacher for the Freeport School District for like 50 years. Just raw fucking grit and determination. This is what true strength and faith look like. No fanfare, no ticker tape parades. What propelled him into superstardom, in my eyes at least, was that when he finally did retire, uh, it was also he could take care of his wife Ruth, who had Alzheimer's. So bad, she'd get scared and beat the shit out of him. Legend has it he would sleep in a chair against the bedroom door so she couldn't wander in the night. Fucking saint. What does that have to do with anything? Well, when you look into the dark parts of your soul and begin to realize that you were placed here to be and do, know this, the high spirit's callings look more like Lyle Babcock's than anything else. Aside from Lyle Babcock, most of my heroes have been martyred by the state. If you want to know who was speaking truth, look at who they killed to shut up. From John Brown to Malcolm X to Fred Hampton to Martin Luther King Jr., anytime a working class nobody gets the people to begin to understand their power through unity, bam. They're killed in their sleep with 20-something warning shots in their back. Why would we kill those that call us to be our highest existence if not for living in an evil world?
To be apathetic is to be complicit. Was Christ not himself a martyr of the state? He posed a threat to their whole infrastructure by riling every, everyone up with kingdom talk. Jesus was your brother, God said to me one night. Seriously? I'll take it a step further. You and Jesus are one. You and I are one. I am Jesus. I am you. That's when I knew I'd found my favorite strand of weed, lemon haze. If you have an ear, then hear what the Spirit says to your spirit. You are God's. All of you. Contempt is a funny thing because it is indicting. Whatever you're mad about deeply, if you cannot change it, you must make peace with it. If you can change it, you must make peace by changing it. I used to be a very angry person. No one ever knew because my desire to fit in was far superior to my need for others to ever see me blow my stack. Growing up, my dad would lose his shit at the drop of a hat. This is primarily because he was gutting out his 100% disability rating from Vietnam. We've come a long way with PTSD, but still have so far to go. The highest being in my father's conscious is without question John Wayne. This is very fucking problematic because John Wayne wasn't even John fucking Wayne. He had the voice and the cadence of a great white savior on screen, but in reality he was a racist boomer who wore feather boas and studied dramatic acting in college. What would John Wayne have said about Marion Morrison? What would my father think of him? My father's fixation on John Wayne's prototype of masculinity was shared with many men his age. Walk like you have 50 pounds of unprocessed shit in your gut and carry a big stick. If you will recall, might is right in this reality. My dad would always get on this kick of, it's okay for everyone else to do it, but when I do it, type of contempt. It is a common gripe amongst older pale men. This is the hook and the lure for them. Life isn't fair, they preach. And when you get out in the real world was a big one. It seemed the 70s and 80s, if you could tow this invisible line of masculinity, then you opted out and... It seemed in the 70s and 80s, if you couldn't tow this invisible line of masculinity, then you opted out entirely, and the only other camp was a secret society hiding in plain sight. You were a fag, faggot, queer, pussy, homo, queen, fairy. Anything perceived as the feminine was met with vitriol that can only come from a deeply held fear and insecurity. My stepfather had two sons before he and my mother met. My mother had me, and then together they had my little sister. My stepbrothers, for clerical sake, in reality they are simply my brothers, but there is an underlying anger that none of us can really put our finger on, are ten and six years older than me. They lived a lot of their young childhood life in a trailer park surrounded exclusively by poor light-skinned people. They brought a music and culture that was heavy, enraged, a lot of makeup, tights, teased, and sometimes crimped hair. This was their epitome of masculinity. These two had the audacity to call me gay because I had a poster of both Michael Jackson and Prince on my walls. The irony. Mike and Prince taught me how to get more ass than a bike seat. Mike broke down barriers that I didn't even really understand existed. The timing was kind of perfect for crossover international pop music. Until the 80s, everything was way more segregated commercially. I would be exposed to movies and music at my black friend's house that weren't as predominant at my white friend's houses. This made me very eclectic, with an understanding that pop music, movies, books, etc. are a universal language. I know everyone is biased, but my childhood was special. A magical melting pot of cultures and struggle. No one had any real means or money to fight about, 
and the stuff on the radio was actually good. If you don't believe me, look up sales numbers in the 80s and translate that to inflation. We didn't know our heroes were being worked to death and robbed by the industry. If I can speak for my peers, we trusted that there were qualified adults making decisions with our best interests at heart. Boy, were we fucking naive. If I were an evil and exploitive system, I would convince all of the men that their only worth was how hard they could work and quietly they could suffer. Now consider the heroes of this world. Recently, there was a prosperity gospel. And I have to add a footnote here, a complete fucking oxymoron created by greedy bastards who thought the traditional squeezing of the widows and the poor took too long. Um, God who lived on a cloud someplace was going to donor reimburse up to a thousandfold if you call or send a check right now. The rub is that none of it is God's. It cannot be. It's evil. It's not for us. God's. If you live in harmony with the great spirit who's within you, it is all God's. For we have the power to create the existence we desire. We just have to get everybody on board. Easy peasy. Chapter 5. Babel. During this reconstruction period, it has been difficult to reconcile the story of the Tower of Babel. What might do the collective of humans have that they could become God and build a tower to heaven and overthrow God? Wait, what? I thought we were all God collectively and connected to God the source. Doesn't the great spirit want us all together? So I asked her, what was your beef with the Tower of Babel? Isn't teamwork and harmony your whole shit? God said something so profound it made me believe in God. It wasn't the danger of the structure. It was their fleshly pursuit. The most despicable thing you can do on this plane is use the talents and abilities that you have innately been given to enhance the kingdom of heaven on the earthen plane to make money in an evil system. This is treasonous to your birthright. I asked God if she had a boss and she said, you'll understand it all very soon. How soon? Hello? Damn. When I ask the wrong question, she ghosts me. If you're listening to this and have a problem with my use of pronoun for God, I will offer you this opportunity to reach enlightenment. Ready? What if all energy had a masculine and feminine polarity? Your equal parts masculine and feminine and gender is only necessary on this plane for reproductive purposes. If you feel so inclined, this evil world puts so much emphasis on gender and power. Remember, on this plane currently, might is right. It can be shameful for a man to hit a woman, but this will not prevent it from happening. Heaven is an upside-down kingdom. Might is knowing your weakness and enlisting support of fellow gods who are e as eager to help you as you are to help them. I don't anticipate seeing a lot of Americans there right away. If we are, we'll be sitting at a table of shame for a few thousand years while the greatest of humanity are trying to heal us of our own shame. It's fucking radical there, or so I'm told. So we should work together? Yes. But our pursuit must be pure. Yes. How do I know if my pursuit is pure? You must strip away everything and find your purpose. You will not understand your purpose for a long time. Because I am. I was never and never will be. I am this moment. Do a lot of people get, get to that part? Do a lot of us, you mean? Yes, yeah, sorry. Do a lot of us get to that part? It is impossible to say. The only clue we even have for divinity is our ability to reason. In fact, the Old Testament God said, come now, let us reason together. 
It is by this divine reason that I will show you my equation. We cannot remember ever being, we cannot comprehend ever not existing. So as a species, we get very depressed when we stick in the past pain and very anxious when we anticipate what can become. Disconnected from the source would require so much medication and entertainment. We would almost take watch or work to pay for anything we could that would keep our minds off of everything there was to worry about and mourn while hurling through space on a mostly water-covered dirt marble. These are the materials of the simulation. Whatever you build with these materials will eventually pass away. But to give you a purpose on this plane, you will be in charge of it all. You, humankind, are the gods of this plane. Uh-oh. So the very contempt I harbor for God is my own contempt for myself and all of humanity because we can create anything we want, any system we want, and we have chosen the lesser existence since the beginning of time. The problem with Babel was overreach and lust for power. This is what happens when humanity unites in flesh. The spirit has information that you do not have access and cannot have access to unless you seek with your entire heart. I can prove this to myself with the empirical, empirically evident observation that the kingdom of heaven is almost, if not the exact inverse of the system we live in, might is right. To invert that would be the might of the kingdom of heaven is in the security of its most vulnerable and powerless citizen. It is okay to be weak in the kingdom of heaven because that is a strength. The only thing you can be in heaven is your true self. And what would make heaven feel immediately like hell is to try hard or a constructed personality. Real recognizes fucking real. You can tell the enlightened by how they talk and move, usually by their proximity to tragedy and isolation. Until you search within, you will never find any answers without. Once you begin to find your people, then you can get to work. There likely will not be a lot of help at the beginning, at least until you see fruit. And if you see fruits immediately, a part of the governing power of evil and greed will murder your ass. So tread lightly when talking about, quote, divine callings. When you remind the poor masses of their almighty sovereignty and when they start to recognize it in themselves and each other, good fucking luck trying to keep them from any noble pursuit. You can run from a calling your entire life, but the regret will destroy you in the end. We are usually cursed by knowing exactly what we are supposed to do, but not having the courage to just do it. This is where marketing and emotive manipulation comes in, like the evil one, and says, what is the least I can possibly do? It is really only the poor adjacent who even feel this emotional connection to those suffering. The most charitable people we have are the lower class, those who know what it is like to not have. You can't feed your children thoughts and prayers. This is why I will forever have a soft spot for people that turn to desperation when they are desperate. I'm not saying it is black and white or clear cut, but in this system, you cannot have people with a billion portion and not see the souls that suffer for that to happen. We wouldn't let our own children do it. And our great spirit, I can unequivocally be say, abhors it. If I am wrong about this, I am wrong about everything. Well, God, should we never work again and starve to death? Why would you? Does the sparrow starve to death? Does the eagle starve to death? Have I not given you everything you need for life and godliness? Are you missing necessary supplies? Collectively? No. Individually? Absolutely. Well, maybe this was never tended, intended to be an individual assignment. 
what skills do you have? Well, my body is getting older and it isn't physically as strong as it was 20 years ago, but I know a hell of a lot more than I did. The least harmful thing you can do in a society is empower people to pursue their passions and partner with them to make it happen. Pool your resources so that you can all make a decent living and look out for one another and be fair and do unto others. What if we all pulled our resources and were content with enough and didn't stockpile with greed and generational wealth? I know, easy to say when I don't have the generational wealth. This is where we get tripped up down here. We are so quick and careless to sell our souls. Selling your souls isn't a devil in a black suit at a crossroads. It is the devil within you that you only trusts the world of the flesh. Security, comfort, convenience, to whatever expense and degree it costs our fragile ecosystem. We are currently in a surplus economy and we can't find places to store all of the cheap and unreliable shit we are having made on the other side of the dirt circle for pennies and shipped over here to consume. We are all complicit to some degree and will be held accountable as gods by the very judgment we judge God. Chapter 6. The Work I cannot tell you what the work is for you specifically, but I will give you some notes from my journey. I must preface this with I have been deeply involved in two known cults in my lifetime, evangelicalism and improvisation. And this is where perhaps the two intersect. The work is to yes and the God within you, even when you have no fucking clue what is happening. In fact, especially then. Follow the fear. Shortly after I set out as an evangelist for this not-so-earth-shattering-as-much-as-a-giant-reminder-to-our-spirit's cause, we got a string of bad reports. My youngest child has food allergies, which is a little ironic given my history in the restaurant industry. What was pretty thoughtless and mechanical with the older two has become a battle of compulsion with the youngest, reading labels and relying on executive function that I lack, so my wonderful Jewish equivalent saint of a wife takes on a lot of the double worry because she is both worried about her baby and her neurodivergent husband, who more than once has driven to the completely wrong destination before. Once we felt a little ease and relief, the baby, our four-year-old, had a seizure at preschool and was rushed to Lurie's by ambulance. And since then, we have been nervously and anxiously trying to navigate our strange new fears. The others do not go away. In fact, they multiply because you worry if you didn't worry about it enough while you were distracted worrying about the other thing. Bigger thing, equal thing. Where's my 16-year-old? He was supposed to stop by. My work right now is getting to the facts quicker and developing systems to feel an illusion of safety, even though preparation nor worry can deter or prevent. We work with doctors to find out what they know best so far, and we trust that they have our child's best interest at heart. We subtly remind them what an incredible responsibility their calling is, and try our best to get them to see our child as their own in a silly way. I work in this is known that this is all part of this plane. And if I stay present and in the moment with the great spirit to the degree I am able, the ride will have been worth the price of entry. Of course, I have no way to know if any of this is true or real. But if we can truly believe whatever we want, why not believe the best in each other? And the best is still possible. I thank you for your kind donation to Angel Tree or Youth Epilepsy or whatever cause you decided. 
Whether I've met you on this plane or will have to wait until the next, I love you as myself, and I just want you to live a full and rich life of radical love and urgent healing. Mm -hmm. Does your spirit agree? 